Welcome back, guys, to Stars and Strikes, the Road to Qatar podcast. My name is Ryan Deeb, and I'm here with Chaz Messman. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to our first episode. We're back again, episode two this week. We got a lot of fun stuff planned to talk about today, but first and foremost, we got some actually some big news to talk about. Um, we are so excited to, I mean, hopefully get some news in regards to this last week, and now we finally got it. Chaz, what's going on? The U.S. men's national team will be back November 12th in Wales against the Wales national team. Thursday, 2.45 p.m. on FS1, taking place in Swansea, Wales. The boys in the red, white, and blue will be back. We might see Gio Reyna for his first U.S. men's national team cap. Hopefully we see Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic on the same field. I can't wait. We ended our last show talking about how excited we were to hopefully see them play. You know, we've been disappointed with the U.S. men's national team not being able to be on the field when we've seen some, you know, UEFA um, Nations League and different friendlies and European qualifiers and the African qualifiers. And now we're finally back. And I, I can't wait. And like I said, I want to see Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic playing on the same field at the same time. Yeah, and I think this is, I don't know if it was done on purpose or what, but the timing of this game, although it was frustrating to wait so long, the timing is coming perfectly because we have um, McKenney clear of coronavirus now. Hopefully he's going to be there. And then Pulisic, he's back on the pitch for Chelsea. He will probably most likely be there, of course. And, I mean, you talk about uh, seeing Reyna and Pulisic on the same field. I want to see that midfield. I want to see what Burhalter has in plan there. I'm, I'm hoping we can see Adams and McKenney see how they operate together in the midfield um, if they both end up being called up. I'm hoping Burhalter takes this opportunity to, to, to pull up all of these players that we all want to see because it's been – it's been a while since we've seen any United States national team at all, but it's, it's about time that we get this young squad and, and finally throw them together at the same time. So hopefully and this I mean, is the, the chance to do that. And look, I mean, this past couple of weeks have been great news. A lot of positivity coming, you know, around just American soccer in general. We had the most players playing the champions league on one day that we ever had. We had five U S players playing in the UEFA champions league on the same day, 10 players in champions league squads. So we want to see all these players finally get to play together. You know what I mean? It's always been like, oh, this Gio Reyna guy, is he gonna, when is he going to happen? Oh, he's scoring these great goals. Oh, he's playing for Dortmund. He's linking up with Erling Holland. I want to see him play with Christian. But, you know, it just the whole COVID thing just kind of dug a hole. And with the U.S.'s current situation and how we've handled COVID, we haven't been able to see, you know, even a camp yet together. So I, I honestly just can't wait. I'm going to be fixed to the TV on Thursday, I might even skip class. I don't even care. And uh, I can't wait. Yeah, it's um, it, it seems like it's been a story of all like hypothetically, uh, you know, what this midfield would look like, what this defense would look like with these certain players in it. And now we're finally going to be able to see hopefully the, you know, the midfield we've all been talking about and the attack we've all been dreaming of. So Thursday, November 12th, you said, right? Absolutely. Thursday, November 12th in right. Wales, 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. FS1. Perfect. All right. And then to get right into that, we got some fun stuff to talk about. So we'll be right back and we're going to get into a little, a little fun hit or miss of our uh, veteran players. So let's go. Five. Yes, that is right, guys. Five U.S. men's national team players playing in the Champions League 
on the same day. The biggest competition in world football, arguably club world football at least. We had five guys for the first time in history. Ethan Horvath, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Serginio Dest, and the American dream, Gio Reyna. Ryan, I want to start with Ethan Horvath because I feel like that was probably the biggest story out of all of them. And it was, he had the game of his life. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, for a player that hasn't played a lot of uh, competitive club football for a good while, this was everything he needed for a confidence boost. Um, he got the nod because of uh, Mignolet's, uh, you know, missing the game because of coronavirus. And he took full advantage of it. He conceded one kind of foolish goal, nothing you could do about it. Um, but he came up big when it mattered against, you know, this is a, a big game for a, for a team like um, Bruges. And um, he, some of the, some of the shots he stopped. Yeah. I mean, it, it's gotta be good to rewatch those, those highlights. Cause. Those and the there's always that one image that kind of went viral and, you know, not just on, you know, American Twitter, but, you know, Twitter in the soccer world and even in the sports world in general, it was the, the, the image of him crying on the field hand, you know, hands in his hand or <laughs> hands in his face, excuse me. And it just went viral. It showed just how much, you know, it meant to him be able to have that opportunity on the biggest stage. And, you know, you saw outpouring of, you know, support from his teammates, including Pulisic. And I couldn't be more happy for him. You know, he had the game of his life. You mentioned some of the saves he made. He didn't just make some saves. He made saves in key moments. If Without him, they don't mm -hmm. get three points in Zenit Saint, against Zenit St. Petersburg. I mean, he did give up one goal, but it might have been the most unlucky goal in the history of goals. Ball bounces off the post. Hits him in the back of the head and goes back in for an own goal. I mean, I mean, it's very rare you ever see that. Um, but I mean, I, I couldn't be happier for him. And it, it's just really cool to see, not just because he's a U.S. player, but to see a player that finally, you know, has their dreams imagined. Because you know, since the arrival of Simo Minule, he hasn't really gotten a sniff. And with the positive COVID test, he got a chance and took full advantage of it. Yeah, and that's. And that's something we've seen with like players like Reyna as well. Like you, that's a player that takes full advantage of every opportunity he's given. So hopefully that this, this can mean some good positivity um, in Horvath's career moving forward. Um, especially when it comes to the national team, it's, maybe he'll come into discussion later on in our later segment um, when it comes to the goalkeeper discussion, because this, this game um, can only be good for him moving forward. Absolutely. And then another guy we want to talk about is Christian Pulisic. He played in the Champions League and then he started at the weekend against Manchester United. Chelsea really kind of struggled, honestly, attacking in both games, but they struggled to get Christian involved in the Champions League matchup. However, in the second game against United, he was their best player and most uh, dangerous player in the final third. Yeah, I mean, coming from a Manchester United fan, um, personally watching that game, um, Pulisic was the only player that, I mean, he, we, we say this a ton about him, that when he gets the ball, he always feel like he can create a threat. And he was for sure the only player on the field for Chelsea that looked like he had something in him. He, he looked like the only player that could create something. They, they seemed very passive throughout the whole game. United seemed passive as well, but at least on the front foot. And But Pulisic was the only one for Chelsea that seemed like he could change that. Yeah, he had a couple shots away, had a couple, created a couple decent chances Obviously, as for usual, he dribbled by a couple of guys. And, you know, it was finally good to see his little pause and then burst again. Because that is just, I mean, as an opposing fan, like, you know, like you said, you're a United fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. He absolutely ripped our defense to shreds when he came off the bench against us. And it 
he's one of those players that when you're an opposing fan, he just makes you stop breathing for a second. A lot of times it reminds me a lot of the way that Leroy Sané is and Eden Hazard is. And I'm sure Sadio Mane is the same thing for, you know, opposing fans when they come play Liverpool. And it's just, and that is, it, it scares the living daylights out of you. And that's great if you have that player in your team. And it's great that we have one, you know, for the U.S. Right. And um, yeah, and then moving on to another player as a, who's had a big couple games this week, um, apart from Pulisic, is Serginho Dest. I mean, one in the Champions League like the, like the four others, and then one in, in El Clasico, the first American player in El Clasico. Um, and I he, just want to hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to say something real quick. We had a player playing in El Clasico. Real Madrid-Barcelona, the biggest, you know, derby club game, whatever you want to call it, on the planet, we have a player playing in it, and he did not look he, – he belonged. Yeah. He was one of the few bright spots. Out of, out of Barcelona, he was the one that did even, – even Messi was, you know, struggling against, obviously, a great opponent. But Serginho, he, he had Vinicius, you know, silent all game. And he not, – not just playing. My man started – 90 minutes, no substitutions, and which is not only impressive because, you know, it's the whole game, but also impressive considering he played left back only a few days prior. Now he's, he's starting right back. He's, he's, really, he's really showing them that he can, you know, really do it all. Yeah, he's a very versatile player. I mean, and I love it. like you yeah. said, he played well in defense. And going forward, he, he's electric. He's so confident on the ball. I mean, there was that one clip where he danced by – uh, Vinicius and Tony Cruz and then played the ball off and created a little bit of a chance for Barcelona. Um, he almost created a goal for Messi and Serge is just, he's on an upward ticking spiral. And like you said, when you're playing in a team like Barcelona that fits his playing style, oh boy. And for the U S to have that versatility, it really allows you to do a lot of different things, you know, defensively because we really have a whole and we have since the departure and the retirement of, you know, the great DeMarcus Beasley, we don't really have any left back. We have a ton of talent at right back. We have DeAndre Yedlin, Reggie Cannon, even Chris Richards has played right back at times. But we don't really have anyone up that left flank. Tim Ream, we're going to talk about him later. He's much more of a center back. Lee Hodge, I'm just, I'm not really high on him either. And Viafania just really wasn't good enough. Nick Lima's better at right back. We need someone to solidify that left back role. And Serge has just completely proved that he can do it from both sides. And he is, he's only 19. He's only getting better. And it, it just feels so good because we talk about proving it, um, you know, on the American level, the US, United States men's national team level. And uh, maybe it's inappropriate for me to say that we have maybe a lesser of a standard than say Barcelona, but he's proving it at Barcelona. That's, that's so insane. You know, if, if they can be confident of him, I just think that's so cool that that he's our player, too. So um, props to him. Congrats to him. And hopefully moving forward, he could stay as one of their, you know, um, starting guys. You know, their indisputable starting 11 guys. I, I definitely think that Barcelona and everything I keep hearing from Barcelona fans and, you know, Barcelona and Spanish outlets and even like, you know, some of the big major outlets is <clears throat> they see him as their future right back. Right. They have Jordi Alba. And, you know, Jordi Alba's getting older in years. They have Sergi Roberto, <clears throat> excuse me, who's been playing the right flank since, you know, the departure of Nelson Semedo and Danny Alves, you know, years ago, but Semedo more recently. Um, 
but you know, he's more of a midfielder and Dest is, you know, he came out through the Ajax Academy and, you know, the, the total football type idea, you know, the Tiki Taka Barcelona tries to play the same way. And the way Greg Berhalter wants the U S men's national team to play, to play out from the back, he fits that perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's exciting to see all this um, like progression of him. like just moving so fast in his career. All of a sudden he's, on the tracks to be being Barcelona's starting right back or left back, I guess I could say, and but how great is this? Like, like, honestly, we, you know, you just see on the internet, we just get so much hate <laughs> and even like inside the country from like non-soccer fans, it's like, Oh, we don't have anyone good. We suck. Well, yada, yada, yada. No, we, we don't. We, we don't actually have, have guys. Yeah. Players at guys. Barcelona, man. That's so sick. Yeah. And, you know, it also feels good. You know, both of us are from Southern California. So, we had a lot of Mexico fans growing up in Mexico and, you know, in the recent years have been, have had a little bit of the upper hand. They've had players, you know, like Chicharito and, um, you know, where's Chicharito now struggling in the MLS, man. That's a whole yeah. other conversation, but yeah, that's a whole other conversation. That is facts. <laughs> but, uh, the Mexico but like you fans, said, it's, if, it's, there, if there's any Mexico fans even listening, they don't want to, they don't want to hear that conversation. So, yeah, but, uh, moving forward, I uh, just, I'll nuzzle a little, um, you know, shout out to Reina Adams, also played their games. Um, but I, I really want to just get into our, our vet player hit or miss, like I mentioned earlier. We got a lot of players to talk about, a lot of controversial ones, maybe some a little less controversial. But uh, basically what we're going to talk about is moving forward, in any context, which player do you think has a future at the national team level? Um, you know, and maybe if one doesn't say, you know, get a call up to World Cup, maybe somewhere that is going to be valuable and whether it's, you know, in the World Cup, blah, 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 somewhere, whatever. Qualifying January camp, wherever. Yeah. So first, first up, this is a pretty, pretty obvious one for me. Josie Altador. Josie Altador. He's still our best striker that we have in the player pool, in my opinion. He's the <laughs> only proven goal scorer that we have on the national team level, he's 15 <coughs> goals off becoming the all-time scorer. It's very realistic that Josie Altador in five years time is the all-time leading scorer in the history of the national team. And at the end of the day, we have guys like Josh Sargent, Tim Weah, even guys like Jesse Zardes, who's probably in the form of his life right now, but they just can't do what Josie can do. We don't have anyone that can do that. We don't have anyone that can hold the ball up the way he can, that can turn a defender and slot it in the top corner. And like I said before, we don't have anyone that has his goal record. Mm-hmm. As his ability to hold up the play, his finishing ability, it's, you know, it's something that's more, more, you know, when you bring into play, when, when you bring in players like Sergeant Azardes into the conversation, it's, it's those, those skills that, that Altidore just so naturally has that come into doubt. So it's, it's, it's always, you know, he's such a safe bet. He's only 30. And at this point, there's no way that I could, I could say no to a player like Josie Altidore in the team. The only thing problem issue for him right now is staying fit he's mm-hmm. been hurt a lot the last couple of years you know he's only played 13 games in mls you know since the start of the season back in the spring and it's he hasn't really <coughs> had a chance to get going he has two goals this season and you look at it two goals 13 games that's not josie altador what's wrong the reality is he's just not fit and he's not sharp but when he gets fit and when he's sharp we don't have anyone that can do what he can do Yes. And moving on to another guy like that, his club teammate, (coughs) Michael Bradley. This is going to be one that uh, we might get some hate for on the internet um, because he's a bit of a polarizing figure, you know, 
in regards to soccer fans and you know U.S. fans. Yeah, it's it's been because a love he gets a lot of hate. It's it's definitely been a love hate relationship. And but for that, I'm I'm definitely one of Bradley's harshest critics, 100. percent But I think moving forward, he he still does have a role to play at the national team level. He is our best leader for sure, and especially in that position, who depending on who's gonna you know hold up the back and you don't know play the ball out like he does protecting the back line he he's a reliable figure and he's he's a great figure to have in the locker room as well so if we don't take any other senior player i would say take michael bradley because he knows this american culture more than anyone else yeah and i think it's a little bit of the same thing with josie altador here with michael bradley michael bradley's still our best ball distributor that we have mm-hmm. no one that we have can pick up a ball and play a pass better or, you know, switch the field better than Michael Bradley can. You know, we have Weston McKennie and Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams is obviously a lot more athletic. He can sweep up a lot more, you know, things in defensive work. Michael Bradley is losing some of his legs in his age. And Weston McKennie is, you know, your box-to-box midfielder. He'll make deep runs and stuff. That's not Michael Bradley, but, again, he, he's still our best ball-playing midfielder that we have. And, like it or not, he's the leader of this team. Right. It seems like Burhalter doesn't want to accept that because he hasn't, for some reason, made him the permanent captain for who knows why. Because you watch a U.S. men's national team game, you listen to any of the players, what they say off the field in interviews. Michael Bradley's the heart and soul of that team. He's the leader. He's the one dragging, you know, barking out commands, dragging them through tough games. He's the one that steps up in the locker room and in the dressing room at halftime before games. He's the one that kind of gets everyone together. He, he's the captain. Right. And as much as I'd love to see, you know, like a player like Jackson Ewell or even Kelly and Acosta, which we'll talk about later, step up to that role. Um, it's just not the case. I mean, Jackson, Jackson Ewell is miles off of being the player that Bradley is even at age, what, 33 now. So <clears throat> it's it's undisputed for me. Bradley, Bradley's a yes. He, he makes some mistakes and <clears throat> he gets absolutely crushed for them. But the reality is he's he's still our best playing. Like I said, I think he's still our best ball playing midfielder. And if there's anything, you know, if there's anyone you have to take that isn't a, maybe a guaranteed starter, I think Michael Bradley has to be number one on the plane for those trips, because we don't really have many guys that have been there and done that on, you know, in qualifying. Cause a lot of the guys we have, even these talented players, look at the likes of Christian Pulisic. He was our best player in the last qualifying, but at the end of the day, we did not get it done. Josie right. Altador and Michael Bradley are really the only two guys that have World Cup experience on in this team. And it's going to be that way. So, you know, obviously John Brooks has, you know, was not quite fully immersed in the team. He had that famous goal against Ghana. But at the end of the day, those are your two guys. They're, you know, they're the backbone of this team. And without them, I think there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Yeah, and it's... Um, you know, even even he's falling down the pecking order at Toronto, but um, I think more so more than anything is that World Cup experience, that leadership quality that you mentioned. So that's that's um, something that he has that no other player that we could call up has. You know, another experienced player. He's playing in the Premier <coughs> League now um, as Fulham or backup is Tim Ream, left back, left center back. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not the biggest Tim Ream fan. I just I think he's fine, but that's it. Maybe yeah. you can have him as a bench. I think 
you know, just at the point where this team is and at the players that we have at our disposal, especially attacking wise. And now that the likes of Serginio Dest are emerging and now we're seeing he can play left back. I think Aaron Long is a better center back than him. I think uh, John Brooks is a better center back. Walker Zimmerman, a young guy, even Matt Miazga, another young guy. I just feel like Tim Ream is just, we know what he is. He's in his thirties now. And it's just, I don't necessarily, I don't think he should be a part of the setup. I'm not saying he should just be completely banned. You know, maybe if we have a big game coming up and someone's hurt, yeah, you slot Tim, Tim Ream in there, but I don't necessarily think that keeping him involved to the point where it's like, it might be taking away a chance for a player such as, um, you know, like I said, Walker Zimmerman to get in the team and get chances at camp, get them those training sessions so that he can build up and improve with the guys around him. Because I just don't think Tim Ream at the end of the day is that good. Yeah. And um, you know, he, he's a, he's a fair leader and, you know, he's a, he's a big a voice and, you know, a great figure to have in your back line, but I don't think he necessarily, you know, I don't think that quality edges him over, you know, any of our other, you know, 19 center back options. You know, there's just, we, we are so average in that position um, next to John Brooks that I don't think Tim Ream offers anything extra to guarantee that spot to be his. There's so many other players that um, I would like rather, rather see um, if they could take that opportunity. And just based on his age alone. Yeah. He, he's up there in years. We got a lot, <laughs> lot of decent young center backs coming up. Aaron Long is 27. I want to see the type of player he can become. Obviously there was a lot of interest from, you know, England in his services didn't happen. He's still with New York Red Bulls, but I want to see him and John Brooks play together. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably the partnership that we're going to have going forward for this, you know, for our back line and Tim Ream being there might disrupt it. I know it's not him necessarily, but he's going to fight for a place in the team and just having Tim Ream there. I just don't really necessarily think helps the national team. Another guy I don't think being there helps the national team is Brad Guzan. You know how I feel about Brad Guzan. I am probably the biggest Brad Guzan um, criticizer and, you know, I'm one of his harshest critics because at the end of the day, I just don't think he's that good. Yeah. Uh, for Guzan, it's – he's had a great history with the team. You know, he's had his moments. He's had his, his poor moments. And he's had, he's had some great moments in England as well. I mean, he's, had a, he's had a really good career. But what is he now, 36, 30-something 30, like that? And it's, it's, it's another one of those things like Tim Ream, when it's a player that you don't – you know, you, you don't want to knock, but at the same time you don't want to – encourage some a player like that to get play time at this level anymore but um last time i heard about guzan at the national team level it was him still being fairly encouraged that he has a shot in burhalter's team and i i i have heard if i recall correctly burhalter is a fan of him and as much as i would prefer you know players like horvath or stefan to be our one and two who knows if Burhalter is going to, you know, go the way of taking that experience in, in Guzan. For me, just like you said, I think it's, I think it's a no, but who knows what Burhalter is thinking. Yeah. And for Guzan, I just, obviously, I think a lot of his biggest problems were the fact that he was competing with Tim Howard. Mm-hmm. And when Tim Howard left the national team and Brad Guzan stepped in, he made a couple of really bad, you know, he had a <laughs> couple of really bad games and it, it, He's not a bad goalkeeper. We saw him for Aston Villa, you know, in the Premier League for a long time. Yeah. But at this stage in his career, 
I just I think that we have goal, goalkeepers that are better and especially their ability on the ball. The way that Burhalter wants to play, Brad Guzan just whenever he has a goal kicker has the ball to his feet, I feel like he just boots it up the field and kicks it out of bounds. And I think one of my biggest frustrations with Burhalter's style is sometimes we don't have enough of that. But the point with Guzan is it just feels like he can't pick out a player with his feet. Yeah, and it's you know, I think I think you put it perfectly when you said when you said, Yeah, I think he's one of those players just yeah. Like you you wanna you wanna you wanna sympathize for him, but at this stage in his career, I I don't think he has much left for us to offer. So for me, it's a no. Moving yeah, it's on, a though. no from me as well. Yeah. This one is a little this bit one, different. I, I've, I've, <laughs> that's why I was tapering off. I was excited to talk about this one. Um, Darlington Nagby. <laughs> Darlington Nagby. What are you? He's what's your pretty take? much been. Nagby's been fantastic since the MLS's back tournament. He's pretty much been like you know he's getting comparisons to the way Tiago and Sergio <laughs> Busquets operate because Columbus Crew have been in an absolute roll since the restart. But there's that thing that he said. He doesn't really want to play for the national team. It's too much and of then a he kind commitment. Of I got kids, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's and he's gotten a lot of hate for it, and he's gotten some love. I just don't think we really need him. Yeah, Darlington Nagby's nice. Do I think he's a starter for us? No, I. It's just, I mean, I can't really <clears throat> believe he would say that. Like, you can believe it and you know not accept a call up until World Cup time, but it's almost disrespectful in a way to the yeah. national team and to a lot of the things that players are working for. And Darlington Nagby, for all of his talent, he hasn't really delivered, especially on the national team level. Yeah. I just hate to say it because he is such a talented player. He's, he's great. He was great for Portland. He's doing that again for Columbus. He was, I, I believe, believe he's been an all-star on multiple occasions in the MLS, but it's just so unfortunate to see, you know, United States men's national team run through his mouth like that because we have players like McKenney who are, you know, in, in Europe are praising the national team. You know, McKenney has been talking about how much he's looking forward to get back with the players and how much he, he loves the, the way that the teams cultivated him from a youth level. And, you know, then we have Nagby saying, you know, it's too much of a commitment. So as much as I wish that his his talent was committed to our team, it's it's I don't think he deserves to take minutes away from our young players. And I think honestly that mentality is probably one of the biggest issues that this team had, you know, in the last World Cup stage is we have a little bit of a disconnect between the likes of Pulisic McKenney and that, you know, our young crop of players that are up and coming, excited to get the chance to represent the US. And, you know, your Josie Altidores, your Michael Bradleys, your Clint Dempsey's, even like Landon Donovan's of the world, Jermaine Jones's, the guys in between those, that's where we really struggle. The 26 to 28-year-olds, we really have a lack of talent there. Because, I mean, you look at a guy like Jossi Zardes, he's fine, but he's still not getting in over Josie Altidore. Um, Darlington Nagby, Will Trap, these guys – what happened? We just kind of had a little stage where there's not one, no one there. It's, they don't really have the same desire. You know, you don't see necessarily the same passion and there's just the crop of players. There's just not a ton of them. And that's honestly why we have to do this segment here. Cause yeah, a lot of these guys <laughs> that's are not we're talking. 
are not your Josie Altidores and your Michael Bradleys. <clears throat> They've had a great career. You know, both of them are among our biggest caps. Josie Altidore is our top three scorer of all time. Michael Bradley's top five in caps. But the 27, 28 year olds, what happened? Where are you? What'd you do? And the reality is we have all these young players, even in the last stage that were fighting for minutes. Christian Pulisic was 18. He was our best player. We had Clint Dempsey in his mid to late thirties, Michael Bradley in his thirties. And they're still so much better than what we have below them. And that was one of the biggest problems. And maybe the mentality is, you know, a big, it's a big issue in that one too. And do I think Darlington Nagby can help out this team? Yes, he's a very talented player. He can pick balls out. His first touch is maybe the best in the team, but do we need him? No, I think he's kind of a luxury player. I feel like if you're a grid team that controls possession, he can be a great asset for you. But if you're going in a dogfight against a team like Mexico, he's he's not going to really do much because he's not going to do much work for you defensively and off ball. He's not going to press really. Sure, he can get the ball, move it, play a nice thing, but he's not really going to be a guy that gets in the trenches and gets dirty. You want to talk about another player that I don't think uh, is the one to call upon in a dogfight against Mexico? Go for it. <laughs> Omar Gonzalez. Yeah. I, I think he's <laughs> another one a lot like uh, Tim Ream. Tim Ream, Good yeah. career. He's just – I think he's past it. He's not super old. You know, he's in his early 30s. But I, I think the last World Cup stage was his last hurrah with the national team. Obviously – Super duper unlucky in that Trinidad game had probably, you know, yeah, was it great defending? No, but he was unlucky to have that deflection off of him go into the back of the net, which was ultimately, you know, the sealer that didn't get us or, you know, that kicked us out of the, uh, the last go around. But I think he's just another one of those players that it's like, we got young guys that can do what he can do and have a bigger, higher ceiling and a potential what they can do in the future. I feel like for him, unless we have a glaring need of injuries and it's only the young guys, same with like Tim Ream, let's say John Brooks, Aaron, uh, Aaron Long are out and we only really have Walker Zimmerman, Matt Miazga, Cameron Carter Vickers and those type of players. Yeah. Then I think you'd want to bring in the likes of a Tim Ream or an Omar Gonzalez and maybe even a Matt Beasler. But I think <clears throat> Tim Ream, Gonzalez, Beasler next. Um, I just don't really see why you necessarily need them to be there because, you know, even if you do need them in a, you know, an injury crisis, they're at the point in their career where they can step in and do a job. Yeah. He's doing so great. Like at Toronto, he's, he's had done great at LA galaxy. Um, I'm obviously a galaxy fan and I, I love the guy when he was, when he was with us, but I think he's one of those players that goes back. Um, it's so when you talk about that, dis, that cultural disconnect for, you know, the old uh, between the older players is he, you know, I just never, I just never really saw him as a men's national team player. He just didn't seem, especially, you know, in qualification, he didn't seem like he had it cut out to, to get the job done. Obviously he didn't get the job done. He doesn't seem like he's sturdy enough at the back for us moving forward. And maybe, maybe some of the younger guys um, aren't sturdy enough at the back either, but I'm more willing to put my, you know, bet on those guys and give them a chance uh, moving forward. So, you know, he's had a great career. Um, one big mistake may have screwed it all, but um, moving forward, we can't, I don't think it's we, worth considering. We also can't ignore the fact that he did have a really good 2014 running in the build up to that. He was one of the more promising players, but I, I feel like his time has just passed. Good player. 
along the same lines of, again, a Tim Ream, even a Brad Guzan. It's just they were part of that failure and mm-hmm. maybe in the back of their heads and even in the heads of a lot of the fans is they're never going to forget that. And yeah. it's, you know, they're not bad players, but they didn't get it done. And it's time for a new regime to get it going. Exactly. And yeah, and obviously this whole segment is old players that we should should keep or cut. Um, another one that I think is probably iffy, and it was a little bit surprising, his lack of – and honestly, it's just – he's honest, I think Bill Hamid is one of our most disappointing players of the last, you know, decade or so. He was such, you know, in high regard when he broke through with D.C. United a couple of years, you know, like five, ten years ago. You know, he went to Europe, didn't really get any play time, and he's only played a handful of times for the U.S., and he just hasn't really, you know, kicked off in his career at all. Yeah, and when you compare him to, I mean, Sean Johnson, even even Guzan, you have to consider which goalkeeper at this level are you taking forward? I mean, at this age, are you taking forward? And, you know, it's to me, it's kind of a toss-up between him and Sean Johnson. Well, for me, it's Johnson over Hamid. You know, Johnson's playing a lot better than Hamid is right now. I think Johnson's just a better keeper. He's a better shot stopper. I think it's shown in a little bit of his selection in the national team. Hamid was probably, you know, the bigger talent if you put, if you want to put quotes under it, but I think Johnson's better. He's two years older, but at the end of the day at 31, you're not necessarily past it as your goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear that Zach Steffen is, you know, the number one going forward or is the favorite to be the number one going forward. He's the guy we want to become, you know, to be our next Tim Howard. And for me, I just think, I, I think Sean Johnson's better. And if, you know, something happens where, um, Stefan gets hurt. I feel like Johnson will do a better job stepping into the team and his form's better. And again, I, Hamid for me has just been a disappointment. Yeah. Like you said, is uh, Sean Johnson, I'd be taking him over Hamid probably most likely because I, like you said, it's, it's come down to his form because it, they've, they've both had kind of, a, you know, rocky patches, but currently when it comes down to form, Sean Johnson is 16 goals conceded in 17 games. And that's, it's MLS, New York City FC. Um, they're kind of a mid-table side in the Eastern Conference, but you know he's doing well. And if if it comes down to him or Hamid, it's definitely going to be Sean Johnson for me. And next, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, two strikers who I think are probably going to be on the opposite sides of the spectrum: Giassi Zardes and <coughs> Bobby Wood. Giassi Zardes is in the form of his life. He's playing great for Columbus. He's his last couple of games for the national team. He's been scoring goals. He's now up to 12 in his national team career. Um, he had a great gold cup performance. He had a hat trick in one of the games. And then you look at a guy like Bobby Wood, who was playing pretty well, and then qualifying happened. And his career has just gone from here playing in the Bundesliga. And it's just no style. And yep. what the hell? I haven't heard anything about Bobby Wood in forever. Where is he? What is he doing? And his career has just gone. It's, it's gone down the drain. Yeah, I well, I think a lot of it has to do with Hamburg being um, in Bundesliga too, which is not the place to be. Um, you know, if you're a player that's trying to, to you know, push forward your career right now, um, as at his age. I mean, you know, if he was if he was maybe you know, seven years younger, that's that would be a great place for him to be. But he is barely even getting minutes at Hamburg's at this point, and he's, you know, he's there's there's not a great option of strikers like you said at the national team level but if he's not getting play time there's no reason for us to you know go out of our way to choose Bobby Wood he has to find a place maybe if that means going to MLS but 
he has to find a place where he's getting minutes again because at the moment he's you know not even getting a sniff of the field so there's he no doubt really didn't play at all at the end of last season yeah um, i think it's i don't know if you have the stats up or something but I, he I, played in six games last season didn't score a goal he played yeah. in 24 games in 2018-19 in their last season in the bundesliga scored two goals he just his career like i said it's just it's nosedive since the failure i don't know maybe it probably did get in his head a little bit, of the, you know, not being up to the standard he thought he was. He was playing great. He got the big move to a different Bundesliga team. And since then, he just hasn't been able to covet, uh, cut it. And I, I like you said, I, I think his national team future is done, especially in the form that he's in and the players that we have attacking wise. He has had some great moments with the national team when he's, you know, breaking through a couple of really good goals in the, uh, what was it? The, uh, the, the, the South American Cup that we had a couple of years ago, 2016, was in New Hollis home soil. Um, Copa America Centenario. America. Centenario. Okay. He had a couple of really good games in that. Um, you know, the Germany game, we beat Germany two to one. He had that great goal where he turned his defender and mm-hmm. slotted it in the bottom corner. But since then, he, he just he hasn't really quite developed in the player that we thought he could be. And it's sad. And I think you got to look at a guy like Giassi Zardes over him. Yeah, and Bobby, that's not to say that that's not to say that uh, Jossie Zardes isn't flawed as well. I think these are both very flawed strikers. Um, I do, you know, I was a fan of Bobby Wood. I really, I really, I I had fun with him when he was in form. I thought he was a fun player to follow. I thought he looked good, but obviously, two very flawed players. One's getting playtime, killing it in the MLS, like you said, best form of his career probably, and one's you know gasping for a breath that you know in the Bundesliga too you know with nothing really going his way so unless he you know gets a major turnaround in his career he's what he's 27 years 27 old, so he has maybe there's time for him yeah, to turn it around time. But... If, he, if he finds the right move he can maybe make something happen but at the moment I think it's kind of it's it's looking not looking great for Bobby Wood especially you know he... Sargent and Zardes on the on the rise He's 27 years old. This is supposed to be the prime of his career. And at the end of the day, he's just, he's not the player that he was even three, four years ago. I mean, you know, we, the player we all really fell in love with was the hard worker that would, you know, would always find a way to be in the right place at the right time, almost in the essence of like a Robbie Keane type player. And since then he's just lost his knack for scoring goals. Sure. He still works hard and he's probably, you know, better in terms of the press and maybe even build up play than a guy like Jossie Zardes because Zardes, just his first touch is very, you know, he mentioned that he lets him down quite a bit and he's not the best necessarily player. He's not going to dance by players, but Zardes is athletic. He's big, he's strong. He can run fast and not the he's best got finisher, confidence in front of goal. You know, he's, he's making it happen still. He, he's got confidence. And that's the biggest thing. I think when you're a striker is when you have confidence that when the ball comes your way, you're going to put it in the net. And that's exactly what Jossie Zardes has done in his last couple caps for the national team. And he's been doing it all season um, for MLS and the MLS. Yep. So for me, that's a no-brainer. Zardes over Wood. Um, another player that we could talk about, similar to kind of what Zardes is is going through right now, is Sebastian Legette. Um, I may be biased on this one. Like I said earlier, being an LA Galaxy fan, I love Legette. I think he's a great player. Um, going through where LA Galaxy is, you know, in the mud right now. Absolutely, like probably worst since Horrible. maybe. I'd say this is even worse than 2017, but that being said, the one 
absolute good thing about the LA Galaxy is Sebastian Legette. And I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's he's do he's he's had some great performances for the LA Galaxy, and it's just so unfortunate that the rest of the team is god awful. I think he he definitely could make his way into the team somewhere, whether it's it's I don't think it's as a starter, but he he deserves for his performances right now, he's probably in the best form of his life, just like Zardes, similar in age. And I think that could that could find him at the national team level. If I mean, I'm intrigued to see what you have to say, because I know I'm obviously a little bit biased. I think Legette is an interesting one. He's a guy that just hasn't really been able to really take the next step in his career. He's been pretty good for a long time. And I think injuries have really hurt, held him back. You know, mm, he, he really bad had a really bad injury when he first was breaking through for the national team. Um, you know, a couple of years ago where it sidelined him for a while. And I think he's another player a little bit like Darlington Nagby. But the difference is I feel like Legette has that desire because he hasn't really had that chance to have an extended run in the national team Mm -hmm. because of injury. So I think I'd take Legette over Nagby right now. Do I think Nagby is a better player than him? Yes. But based on desire and his probably ability to work for the team, I think Legette would be higher. With that being said, do I think the national team needs him? No. I feel like there are a lot, even younger players. We're going to talk about a guy at the end of the show, Brendan Aronson. I think he deserves a shot. DeJordi Mihailovic from Chicago Fire is up in that area. You know, even more defensively, guys like Jackson Ewell. I think they're players that are younger (laughs) that can take the next step if they're given the opportunity. And with Legette's spot in the team, because he's not overtaking Michael Bradley, he's not overtaking Weston McKenney, and he's not overtaking Tyler Adams. Can he come off the bench? Sure. But based on the young players that we have going forward, I think he might have a national team spot, you know, in the squad, but I'm not, I don't think he's going to be a key player. Yeah, I think, I don't think, yeah, like I said, I don't think I could see him starting for any, by any means, but what makes him such a valuable asset in my eyes is his versatility. You're comparing him to players like McKenney Adams and he could play deep and he can also play up top. When he plays for the galaxy, he has kind of a more creative role, more creative freedom because he is the only one making any sort of um, any sort of positivity happen for them at the moment. You know, he starts 93% of the games for the LA galaxy. Look at his stats right now, 15 appearances, six goals to assist. So he has a pretty good goal return. You know, he's pretty good in terms of getting, you know, forward, making deep runs, excuse me, from midfield. But I just think we have players that are better than him. But his drive to be a part of the national team, I think there's a spot in the squad for him. But going forward, I wouldn't be shocked if he's overtaken. Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely agree with that. I think he deserves a spot just considering his versatility, you know, his drive moving forward, just seeing how he – how he's been taking his opportunities lately after that nasty foot injury, like you mentioned, um, that, that he was, I remember he was out for probably maybe a year and a half and he's come back and he's like, I've saying over and over, he's the best player at the LA galaxy right now. Even, even with Chicharito in the team, but yeah. Um, yeah. Zardes, maybe, maybe it's poor for me to say because galaxy is in the last place in the Western conference, but He's, he's, he's doing well. Moving on to a guy that has pretty much been overlooked throughout their, you know, course of his career by the national team is Alfredo Morales. Um, you know, he plays over in Germany for Dusseldorf. He's been playing pretty well in the Bundesliga over the last couple of seasons. And 
he really hasn't gotten much of a chance so far, but he's a mm-hmm. good player. He's a defensive midfielder. He can distribute the ball pretty well. Is he better than, you know, he's not been able to overtake Michael Bradley. I don't think he will, but he's another good player. And it's good to see, you know, us having a guy like that, that's getting good minutes in, you know, a top league in, uh, over in Europe. I think the, what it comes down to, it's, it's, it's kind of another, a situ- another situation similar to that of Bobby Wood because he's in uh, Dusseldorf. Are they, they're, they're in Bundesliga too. I think, they, right they got relegated. Last yeah. Season, so, yes. but I think it's interesting because he's not really getting the chance this season um, towards the tail end of last season. I don't think he was either, but what he needs the most right now, if he does have a chance, I think it's more likely that he has a chance over Bobby Wood, of course, because, um, the position that he plays is a bit less competitive than the striker position, but what he needs most is the minutes um, for a player of his, of his age. He needs to keep doing what he was, uh, you know, a season and a half to two seasons ago. If he wants to, you know, get the attention of Burhalter and get back at a camp. Morales, is, uh, he's struggled a little bit of, you know, injuries recently. And I think that's played a part of it. He hasn't been quite, you know, sharp since the uh, restart, but, you know, he's one of the bright, brighter spots for Dusseldorf last season. Um, you know, he's now coming on to age 30. He's only has 16 caps. I think he's the type of player that'll get a couple, you know, caps here and there throughout qualifying. He'll make a couple squads here and there. Maybe he can force his way into a World Cup squad if he can, you know, get fit and, you know, consistently get some minutes with the team. But I think I would take him. I don't know. I feel between him and Legette is probably a toss up. Because I think both of them have a spot in the team over a guy like Darlington Nagby that's been there and doesn't really want to be a part of the national team. And he said he doesn't really have the strong desire. So I definitely lean to two guys that would really want to, you know, prove themselves and get that opportunity maybe that they've been overlooked in the past for. Yeah. And um, this one, this is one for me where I'd, I'd have to see more because right now it's, it's, there's, there's so little for me to base an opinion around of. Because, like you said, there's those other players that maybe do deserve the role, the younger players. And right now, he's going to be a no for me because it's it's there's not much happening on his end. He has to he has to find the minutes to play somewhere. Obviously, he does have the desire probably to play for us, but we have to see that um, we have to see that kind of uh, orchestrate on its onto the field at the club level if he if he wants to make it back here. Another guy playing in Germany. This time, actually, he's still in the Bundesliga. Timmy Chandler has been playing very well um, over in Germany recently. He's been playing a little bit of right wing, actually, as opposed to right back. He kind of went through a stage where he just didn't really play for the national team much. He's starting to get a lot more interest, you know, after he's been backing up performance after performance for Eintracht Frankfurt. But um, he was in that 2014 World Cup squad. He was one of the two players that didn't get minutes. Um but then he just kind of disappeared for a while and he was playing some good, you know, he's playing some good football. And I feel like he's the type of player. It's, it almost felt like, why is he not getting a chance? Like mm-hmm. we're having these guys that aren't quite ready yet. And, you know, maybe DeAndre Yedlin, while I think he's a better player than um, Timmy Chandler, DeAndre Yedlin hasn't been fit. Maybe it would have been better to have a guy like Timmy Chandler playing in that right back position when DeAndre Yedlin's not fit and not necessarily firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, Timmy Chandler, I've kind of hopped on the hype train for him. It was, I remember it was post, um, like right when they started kicking back football up in Germany. And I found myself watching Frankfurt games 
because the Bundesliga was the first league to come back. And this guy was absolutely killing it. He was playing great. Um, and I was like, man, is that an American on the, on the right, right flank over there? And I think when I mentioned versatility earlier, Timmy Chandler, um, throw him on the left, throw him on the right, throw him high, throw him low. He, he can, he's, he's a great asset to have. And I don't know why he's fallen off with the national team because he's been putting out some good performances. I think he's, you know, it's last season he did fairly well as well. And then, I mean, two seasons ago and then last season as well after um, lockdown, he did great. So I'd say it's for me, I would love to see him back with the national team because I think he, he deserves it. And plus he gives us that benefit of the doubt in a multiple, uh, multiple positions on the field if we need somebody, it, but most, of, most importantly being right back or left mm-hmm. back. I don't think he's the guy that's a starter. I don't think he gets in the team over DeAndre yeah. Yedlin. I don't think he necessarily offers you the same type of, you know, explosiveness going forward that a guy like, you know, Reggie Cannon would offer. Serginio Dust, we've seen him when he's doing an El Clasico. He doesn't get in over him. But I think to have him as, you know, one of your back-end players in the squad to be like if you have an injury at a World Cup, you have an injury in, you know, during a Gold Cup that you can throw him on in a multitude of positions. You could even throw him at center back. He's done that in his – in the past before he could throw him in at midfield um he's getting up there in age do i know if do i think he'll be part of the world cup squad probably not but i definitely think there's a spot for him you know in qualifying camps and stuff and at the very minimum you know if you put him in a camp he's playing at the highest level he'll you know he'll elevate the likes of reggie cannon he'll elevate you know some of the other players in the team that aren't quite necessarily playing at the same level that he is in playing in in a you know mls yeah he's definitely a utility player um I've seen him come off the bench multiple times for um, Frankfurt and he's, he's, he's been explosive when he comes off the bench. So I don't see why we can't use that to our own advantage. Um, a player similar Moving to on. him. Yeah. Let's, go. let's talk about that. Um, a player a little bit similar to him as far as um, their German track goes is uh, Fabian Johnson. What's your take? I mean, I kind of was a little bit he, – he was another guy I was a little bit surprised that wasn't playing for the national team as much as mm-hmm. he was because he went from our best national team player, you know, playing in the Champions League for Gladbach to kind of – he went through little injuries and then he just kind of faded out even though he was playing well for them, you know, under Bruce Arena. When we had Bruce Arena as a coach, it was a little bit like, why is Fabian Johnson not getting minutes? And then, you know, since then it's just kind of been, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's in his 30s now. He's now without a club because he decided to leave um, Gladbach. I think he's the type of player that maybe you bring in for a camp or two if he finds some form for his new club. Um, not quite necessarily sure where that's going to be. I think he's kind of past that stage where he's really going to be a part of the national team just based on position. Because let's be real, our best, you know, deepest positions are along, you know, in, in attacking areas right now. Um, you know, he's not getting in over the likes of Gio Reyna. He's not going to get in over uh, Christian Pulisic. I don't think he gets in over Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's been killing it for Besiktas. I don't think he's going to get in over um, Paul Areola when he comes when Areola comes back from injury. So I think, yes, he's a good player. I just think we have too much in those areas. Yeah, and he's one of those players that we all, I'm assuming, we all want the best for because he's had that uh, national team history and. He, he was one of our best players back then, but it's just a matter of, I, I, we were talking before the show, like we were just talking, where the heck is this guy? What is he doing with his career? We have to see, just like 
you know, Morales or someone like that. We have to see more out of their club career if we are to consider a player like that. Um, Timmy Chandler, at least we're seeing it um, at the club level. He's, he's putting out some good performances here and there, but um, it all comes down to, for me, where he lands this next club move, if he even continues to play football at the, I mean, age 32 now. So Another guy, what the hell happened to him? Kellen Acosta. He was one of our brightest talents as a defensive midfielder. He's now with the Colorado Rapids, but what the hell has he been doing? You know, he came up and then all of a sudden he just got swept under the rug and you just don't hear anything about him. He's playing decently for Colorado, but the national team, there's just no buzz around him anymore. And it's, he wasn't necessarily bad. He made a few mistakes, but you know, he was, he was a guy that we were like all really excited about maybe to be the guy that takes over for Michael Bradley. Yeah. And he just hasn't, he hasn't done it. He hasn't performed. Yeah. And this is, this is the kind of the wild card in our list. And I think it's our last one to talk about as well, because he is 25 and he has the capabilities to turn around his career. But at the moment, it's so strange what the heck happened to him. And I just, I, I remember when he played for FC Dallas and he was, he's, he's also an MLS MVP uh, on a couple occasions, maybe just one, but he was, All-star. he was, Oh yeah. All-star, not MVP. That's a big, yeah. Big call. But he was, he was a great player at, at FC Dallas. And just to know that we had that coming up into the national team was so exciting until all of a sudden, who knows what happened. Hey, I, I was reading earlier that it was something to do with a big, you know, transfer fallout. He wanted to go to Europe. FC Dallas didn't let him. So he kind of, I, um, if that's on FC Dallas's, um, I'd have to read more into it if it's on FC Dallas that he wasn't able to, you know, flourish in his career. That's quite unfortunate because it really did seem like it took a big toll on his development as a player because now there's, I, I can't imagine that he gets any, any looks unless he starts, unless he starts, you know, proving that he, he still is the player that he was. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, we had so much hope for him. He was playing, you know, getting good, solid minutes in gold cups mm-hmm. and qualifying matches, you know, at 21, yeah, 22 years old, too, didn't he? Yeah. And I mean, you know, he was getting playing time when he was in his early twenties and we're like, Oh, this guy's going to be good. Maybe he, you know, he's the next Michael Bradley. He'll take over that, you know, that anchor in midfield. And it just hasn't happened for him. <clears throat> and, you know, the likes of Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney have just, shown you know and flown so far so far above him jackson yule's gone above him now i mean there's a guy that i think that gets you know selection over him that i'd take kellen acosta in a heartbeat and i think you know exactly who that is because i am not a will trap fan at all and you know that obviously will trap knows burr halter from their time with the columbus crew together but i i mean he's another player i was just i've been super disappointed in because i thought we had a really darn good player in acosta and it just hasn't happened Mm-hmm. it's I, it, that seems like the the reoccur, a reoccurring theme for that 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 position to, re, to take up michael bradley's role is just disappointing players um that can't hold the weight of that position and i think that's you know a testament to michael bradley and it's not that anything fall to him he's fighting like hell for that position he's gonna fight like hell because he knows what it is to be a u.s men's national team player he knows what it is to play in a world cup to be successful in the world cup. He's the leader of that team. He's not going to give up his spot easy, whether that's Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Brendan Aronson, anybody, you know, Kellen Acosta, Will Trap, Jackson, you you can name 50 names. 
he's not giving up that spot and mm-hmm. without a fight. And I think that's a testament to Michael Bradley. I think it shows just how important he is to the team. And I think it just shows just how important I think he still has, you know, to be a part of this national team setup going into the next World Cup cycle. And why I think he will be on the plane to, to Qatar. Will he start? Not necessarily depending on the system we play, but you can bet your ass that I think – would I wager my house on him being a part of the squad if he's fit? I would. Well, I'll – I also don't have a house, by the way. But <laughs> if I did – I was, I was I just did. about to say, if, I, if, if either one of us had a house, I would, I, would, I would be dumb to take you up on that bet because I, I'm full-heartedly agree with you on that one. It's crazy that we are comparing a player of Bradley's age to someone as bright and promising as Acosta Almost on his day. Years. Costa is almost 10 years younger. And I feel like Michael Bradley is still more lively in every single game than he does. Yeah. Obviously his leadership on the field is a big difference is, you know, he's the one barking out orders for the team, but I mean, Acosta, he's another one of those players. He just, it's disappointing. You know, we had this, you know, a lot of the discussions along Jordan Morris were similar to this a couple of years ago and Jordan Morris turned his career around. He had those two really bad knee injuries. And then after that, He's been fantastic for Seattle Sounders. He's been fantastic for the U.S. And I think Brennan or Jordan Morris, excuse me, has carved out a role for him in this team. Is he going to start over Pulisic? Is he going to start over Gio Reyna? Probably, probably not. But he's going to darn sure be one of the best best uh, bench options that we have. And I think Acosta can do that. And I hope he does do that because the more players that we have, the better players that we have, the the more you know the team improves and the better success that we can have in CONCACAF and in, uh, you know, the World Cup. Yeah, it's great to have all these options. It's If they start proving themselves, it's, you know, it's definitely promising that we have so many, as as far as before, we don't have to settle for players anymore just because they're our only, our only bet. We ha- now have the ability to say no to a player like Kelly and Acosta, age 25. We, we, I think we both agree that this is a no at the moment as opposed to Michael Bradley. And the fact that we have that ability to say no to a player like that is, is promising from a United States and the men's national team standpoint. Um, I mean, think about it. Like in the last cycle, there's some players that weren't performing on club level that would get into squads and then even sometimes even get into the starting 11 and you'd be like, this guy hasn't done anything forever, but the reality is we just don't have anyone that's exactly. nearly on his level of ability that to put it in now that, you know, it's to the point where it's like, you don't perform, you don't get called up. And that's how it is for the best nations in the world in terms of the national team. And that's really good that it's, um, you know, where we're at now. Yeah, that's that's the theme for a lot of players we've talked about tonight. Morales, uh, Chandler, Johnson. Um, so I think it just applies to, you know, it, it, last week we talked about minutes for young players. And now I think I think that getting minutes doesn't it, it never stops being important. And these, these older players, if they do want to get a taste of the national team again, if they want to keep continuing their career um, at the national team level, they have to, you know, get minutes all the same. There's, there's no point where you're, you know, set in your football career. All right. So as far as uh, veteran players goes, that's probably going to be our, our list for the evening or for the day, whenever you guys are listening to this actually. But um, there's one little segment that we want to introduce for a lot of shows coming forward is our young player profiles. Cause there's so many players out in our, you know, huge player pool in Europe at home um, that don't get the recognition quite yet because they may be too young or they haven't broken through at a huge club. But we still want to, you know, keep our eye on a few of these guys. 
because there are some guys killing it, making big moves. And so this week, we just want to talk about a guy, Brendan Aronson, who's breaking um, breaking MLS transfer records at a yeah. young age. Take it away, Chaz. Brendan Aronson just turned 20 less than a week ago. October 22nd was his 20th birthday. And he is now the most expensive player coming out of MLS ever. Almost about a six million move, uh, pound move over to RB Salzburg to join up with American coach Jesse Marsh. Um, it's going to go through in January. So he's still going to finish out the MLS season. And he's one of our most talented young players. 17 appearances in MLS this season, four goals, three assists. I mean, this he is another guy that I think can just can really take the next step. He's an attacking midfielder. He can get forward with the ball. He can create chances, chipping with the occasional goal. He's got a decent long shot on him. And I think the biggest thing for him is going over to Salzburg, uh, Salzburg from uh, Philadelphia Union is that he's joining up with Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh is the guy I think should be the coach in the national team. He's the guy I want to be the future coach of the national team. I think he's our best young coach that we have coming up. And, you know, he's getting it done in Salzburg over in, over in Austria. He was a fantastic assistant over for uh, RB Leipzig before he took the mantle at Salzburg. And I think the key for him there is that he's going to a place where a coach that's going to have faith in him, he's going to give him opportunities. Obviously he's going to have to earn those opportunities, but if he performs, he's not going to be afraid, you know, to put a guy in just because he came up through MLS and, you know, maybe some coaches around the world won't do it because, Oh, this is an MLS guy. No, Jesse Marsh knows what it takes to be, you know, a player for the U S national team. He knows what it takes. I think he's, I think this is a great move for Aronson. And I think this is exactly what, you know, the textbook player development and player step for, you know, guys that come up through MLS. Cause not everyone is going to be as talented as Christian Pulisic or Gio Rayner, Weston McKinney that are just going to get straight up signed from an MLS Academy straight to Europe and go slot into Dortmund's team. You know, Brendan Aronson, he broke through MLS, you know, in his late teenage years, and now he's going over to Europe. And I think that's the perfect step. And I think that's the perfect formula. Yeah. I think this is definitely something that the, um, at the MLS academies, this is how it should be operating. We need to to start getting these young players at this age over to Europe as soon as possible. If I mentioned vaguely earlier that that um, was a situation with Kelly and Acosta, I'm um, based off of what I read with FC Dallas. But we need we seriously need to start cultivating, you know, killing this um, this misconception that MLS just breeds bad players. There's all this insight out of Europe that just assumes, you know, if you're coming from America, you're, you're washed up or you're, you're beaten. And, and that's definitely not the case. As you, as we're talking about now, Brendan Aronson is a bright young player. And there was even speculation that uh, Frank Lampard with Pulisic was, you know, questioning whether this guy even deserves a place at Chelsea because just because he's American, you know, and it's, it's time that we start with these, with our, with the MLS academies, you know, cultivating players in this way and getting them out of out of America and to Europe. It's time that we start breaking down this stigma and uh, creating, you know, decent and fair opportunities to our young American players. Yeah. And just going right back to Aronson, I am super excited for this kid. He is, there is a lot of potential there. Like I said, you know, he can chip it from goals from midfield and that's not necessarily something that's Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney's game. He brings a different, you know, element. He's much more of a number 10 than those guys. And it, it also, you know, if he can really develop and kick on, it can just add another dimension to this team that we don't necessarily have right now. And I can't be more excited for him, um, you know, to work under Jesse Marsh and to really, 
improve playing the champions league. That's another guy that's going to get opportunities and good thing for him. Good thing for American soccer. I can't wait to see us play in a couple of weeks time. Yes, sir. I can't wait. We got what? Um, uh, two, two weeks now, three weeks, three weeks, three weeks. But yeah, we'll definitely be back in the coming weeks. We'll have, um, we'll have, you know, pregame postgame, all the, everything reviewing that because, you know, squad it's reaction. Yeah. It's obviously something we've been looking for forward to for a while, but up until that point, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be with you and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks time. See you guys. Yep. See you. Have a good day.